So I'm going to read you an article that Dennis Prager wrote recently entitled What the Left Has Done to Women's Desires. And needless to say, I concur completely with this article, as I do with most things with Dennis Prager, although I'm not an avid follower, so I can't vouch for everything. But he did interview me back um, with my last book, back on episode 18 on the, of, this, of the Suzanne Mecker Show, if you want to go back and listen to that for whatever reason. Okay, he opens the article with this statement. As I've documented on a number of occasions, the left ruins everything it touches. There is no exception, from universities to high schools, and now including even elementary schools, to late night TV, to sports, to the arts, and increasingly science, the left is a destruction machine. And nowhere is this damage more evident or tragic than with regard to women. I have to say amen to that. In fact, nothing demonstrates the power of left-wing ideology as much as what this ideology has done to women. So powerful is leftist ideology. It is more powerful than women's nature. And that's what I've titled this um, episode is Can Feminism Undo Women's Nature? And I'm going to give my little spiel on that at the end after I read this. Okay, so he gives five examples of the way in which feminism has essentially overpowered women's nature. Number one, the desire to bond with a man. For all of recorded history, virtually all women sought a man with whom to bond. Of course, a, prog a progressive would argue that this was true only because all societies implanted this desire in women or because societal pressure gave women little choice about the matter. It is not, progressives would argue, innate to female nature to yearn for a man. But whatever the reason, innate nature or societal expectation, it is a fact that women desiring a man was virtually universal. Then along came left-wing feminism, which communicated to generations of young women through almost every influence in their lives, most especially teachers in the media, that a woman doesn't need a man. Unfortunately, however, the reality is that most women need a man, just as most men need a woman. Most men don't fully grow up without a woman, and most women don't fully grow up without a man. If you need proof, ask almost any married person, man or woman, if marriage matured them. Number two, desire to marry. Along with wanting a man, the vast majority of women wanted to marry. It was assumed that wanting the, it was assumed that wanting that public commitment to and from a man was part of female nature. Yet the left has successfully undone that part of women's nature too. As a result of feminist and other left-wing indoctrination, the belief that a woman doesn't need a man led to the inevitable upshot. Marriage isn't necessary. And it might even be a tool of oppression. And as a result of that, a smaller percentage of American women are marrying than ever before. This has serious social consequences. We have long known that single men perpetrate most of the violent crime in society. Single men are a societal problem. What we have not acknowledged, and perhaps not even known, are the deleterious effects of women not marrying. While single women don't commit nearly as much violent crime as single men do, single women are increasingly a societal problem. The most obvious problem is that women who have children without ever marrying their children's father or another man produce a highly disproportionate percentage of social misfits. 
but many women who never give birth nor marry also constitute a societal problem. They are more likely to be angry and to express that anger in support of radical causes that undermine society. I'm going to pause there for a moment and say that would actually prove that, in fact, women do need a man because you wouldn't turn, you wouldn't become angry and bitter if, if it didn't matter whether you had a man or not, you know, as a result of being single, which is, is very often the case. As Barron's reported, while overall a mere 14% of the population contributed to racial justice causes such as Black Lives Matter, in 2020, nearly half of single women in the U.S., a larger percentage than single men or married couples, supported or were actively involved in racial justice protests. The third way feminism potentially has undermined female nature, the desire to have children. At least as much as wanting to bond with a man and wanting to get married were deemed a part of women's nature, the desire to have children was regarded as even more embedded in female nature. Yet incredibly, leftist ideology has even succeeded in eliminating that part of women's makeup. More women than ever before, abroad as well as in America, are choosing not to have children. Number four, the desire to have sex with commitment. Another part of women's nature that the left has undermined is the desire of women to have sexual relations with a man who might commit to her, or at the very least, to have sex only with a man to whom she has some emotional attachment. Feminist ideology has even been able to undermine that. Three generations of American women have been indoctrinated into believing that their sexual nature is the, same, is the same as that of a man's. Therefore, she can have hookups, i.e. non-emotional, non-committal sex, just like men can with no emotional fallout. And so many young women do. But a far greater percentage of them experience regret or even depression than do young men who engage in hookup sex, a form of sex that is indeed part of male nature. And then number five is the last one, the desire to protect children's innocence. Perhaps the most amazing thing progressive ideology has done to women is to subvert the innate female desire to protect children, specifically children's sexual innocence. The movement to teach very young children about sex, about gender fluidity, expose them to drags, drag, drag queen, story hours, etc., is overwhelmingly led by and composed of women. Leftism would appear to demonstrate that ideology can trump human nature. Such is the power of social indoctrination. One inevitable result is a generation of more depressed young women and more regretful middle-aged women than ever before in American, in American history. So I'm not going to argue with any of that. I'm going to add a sixth of my own. And then I'm going to just add a little addendum there to the idea of, of whether or not uh, ideology can trump desire. Um, the, sixth, the sixth one would be the complete, and I, I would say the sixth one is way more, way bigger, like not even a question, bigger than number five regarding you know, gender fluidity and drag, stewing, drag queen story hours, because I still think that's a little bit more on the periphery. I mean, it's, it's embedded in our schools for sure, but I don't think it's um, embraced by the majority or even a sizable minority. 
even though it may seem that way from the from the media. A much bigger issue is the complete and utter dismissal of children's needs. Now that I would say feminist ideology has been a hundred percent successful in doing. And this has mostly to do with those early years. So babies and toddlers and daycare and all of that. Um, there, there was a time when you did not, you know, daycare was still a last ditch effort and it was not considered quote unquote normal or something that you would aspire to do or just do as a regular course of action. And that is utterly and completely gone. Um, I, the number of women, millennials in particular or younger who, and some in my generation too, generation, what am I? X, Gen X, but mostly the current generation. Um, they will talk about putting their babies in daycare. Like you're talking about taking a shower. I mean, it is, it is genuinely no big deal to them in terms of, uh, it is a big deal in their lives, but it's not, it's not understood to be a, um, anything bad at all. It's just absolutely normal. And then when they bump up against the reality of what it really means to drop off the baby for 10 hours a day every day and to suffer all of that guilt and heartache in doing so, they literally believe, they don't even realize that that's, that's um, their nature and their conscience talking to them. They, they, they truly don't get why they feel that way when it's so normal and good and okay to use daycare. I, I've seen this, I've witnessed this, I've heard this. Um, and you, it's, it's so difficult to try to explain to them that this is actually not good because it's so common that what's that statement that I don't know who said it, but it was a great line where it said, um, once, um, something becomes accepted in mass, all critical thinking stops. You just, you just stop sort of like what happened with the mask situation. You know, you just, you stopped questioning whether or not you really needed a mask. You just did it. All critical thinking stops. You know, you walk into the restaurant with a mask on, but then you have it off the rest of the time while you're eating in the room. No logic there, right? Makes no sense. But you just stop thinking and you just do it like sheep. It's like that with daycare and not just daycare, but just the needs of children in those early years, period, whether it's daycare or not. Um, there's been no discussion of what happens during those years about what it means to bond to another human being when you're first arrive in this world and what's involved in that and how significant your presence is, which is why I've done, I think, upwards of three episodes now with Erica Komisar. Um, you can find the you can find the best ones, I think, are episode 72 and 89. Um she's the go-to person for this, for this topic. Um, and she spends a lot of time talking about emotional regulation and how when babies don't get those needs met in those early years, it will stay with them for life. A hundred percent. It will, it will affect their relationships later on. This is all, um, foreign to the modern generation. They've never heard anything like this. And if it's not a tangible result, it gets completely overlooked. And of course, this type of thing, the ability to bond, to love, these intangibles that are such a critical part of your emotional makeup as a human being, um, you can't see them or touch them or prove them, right? So unless you're doing it um, for yourself and really looking and paying attention, it's very easy to overlook. And so 
no one's talking about it and the modern generation hasn't hasn't been taught this way so they just have no idea that when they're talking about not being there you know after they give birth that there's anything wrong with that no clue and that is brand spanking new with this generation because even in my generation people were hesitant to say well i've got him you know a little bit few more you know more hours than he should be he or she should be in daycare or in preschool or whatever it was still um, understood that that's you know not good on any kind of full-time basis but that's completely obliterated so i think that is far more significant than the the gender fluidity thing but that's that's just my opinion um my conclusion about his about prager's argument um can ideology trump human nature i would say that it certainly has been successful like i just gave you an example of, of how it has um but it appears to it appears it mostly appears to have done that more than it actually has done that and the reason i say that is because the people the, the information that we get about all of this stuff is all filtered through the minority of women who are in the spotlight and who are sharing their stories and their opinions and their thoughts and all the rest. Whereas the majority of people out here in the real world are experiencing something different. So does it really undermine um, or can it trump human nature? And eh, I, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. So even though the people, even the people who, for whom it appears to have trumped common sense or human nature, I believe that down the road, it'll come back to haunt them. You know, eventually, if they are able to put it together, um, they'll see down the road that um, they've been following a narrative that is that that goes completely counter to what they want. So it usually comes comes back eventually. So that's that's my take on it. So, yeah, it's possible. I don't think it's a permanent thing and I don't think it's for the majority. But anyway, there it is.